Hello and welcome to the LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination, ANAC. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today I'm here with Jane Bell, ANAC Curriculum Development Specialist, to start off a new podcast series that will provide information about Medicare services in skilled nursing facilities. In today's broadcast, we will cover an overview of original Medicare and how it impacts resident care in skilled nursing facilities. Welcome, Jane. Oh, thanks very much, Rebecca. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Jane, we often receive many questions about Medicare and how it impacts care in our facilities. Would you please describe how Medicare works in the long-term care environment? Well, I think the basic understanding needs to be that Medicare is the health insurance program, basically, for people that don't work anymore. So for people that are 65 years of age and older, it could be disabled people under the age of 65, and also folks that have end-stage renal disease or Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS. So most of us still working, we have insurance through our company or whatever. These folks are not working and don't have insurance. So this is a way for them to have insurance for hospital and both doctor's visits and those kind of things. So let me explain a little bit more about this. Part A, which is the hospital benefit, that also, yes, it would cover folks if they have to go to the hospital and pays for that care, but it also, that benefit for that's called hospital, also includes the, the skilled nursing facility. And actually in the law, it's called extended care benefit. It's premium free for most people because most of these folks, they or their spouses have paid into Social Security for 40 quarters, 10 years during their working years. Each year there are significant deductibles and co-payments. There's a very strictly defined scope of coverage because Medicare is really described as catastrophic health insurance. It's not meant to be full coverage. It is not meant to cover, and I hate to use the word, but it is in the regulation. It's not meant to cover custodial care, which would be a nursing home. And each year, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they update those deductibles and co-payments every fall for the following calendar year. So it's it's a benefit, I guess, little, little tidbit of history. The very first person to receive a Medicare card, and that was in 1965, was Harry Truman. He and his wife were the first two recipients of Medicare. Thank you, Jane, that's good to know. I understand Medicare has several different parts. Can you provide a brief explanation of those and what services they cover? Medicare beneficiaries receive coverage through what's called traditional or original Medicare, or they also can enroll in a private health insurance plan, which folks hear the words Medicare Advantage, and that's also called Part C, and I'll get into that a little more here in a minute. So this traditional original Medicare covers Healthcare services, and there's actually three parts to Medicare. 
Part A, again, that hospital insurance that includes the skilled facility, and it covers services related to the hospital stay. And then because one of the requirements is that for that beneficiary to go to a skilled facility, they still need to be cared for, for something that some illness or injury that put them in the hospital in the first place. So the SNF is actually an extension of that hospital care. Um, part A also in certain circumstances even pays for uh, home health and also could be used for hospice care. The second part called Part B is called supplemental insurance. And that just what it says it is doctors, outpatient care, tests, x-rays, durable medical equipment, it also includes home health if you don't qualify through Part A. And it also, that Part B covers many preventative services. And typically, the Part B supplement, you, the beneficiary, has to pay a premium for that. So that is not free like Part A. There is a cost every month to carry that additional supplemental insurance Part B. And that supplemental insurance does pay basically 80% of whatever the cost of those services that the beneficiary received. And then the individual, either through other insurance or out of their pocket, have to pay the additional 20%. The third part is Part D, and it's the prescription drug benefit, which can pay for many of the drugs that uh, that beneficiaries receive when they are not in a covered Part A stay. Again, the person has to enroll in the program and you can select a plan and each plan has different costs depending on you know, how, uh, how uh, much of a Cadillac you want for your drug coverage. I did mention earlier the Medicare Advantage or Part C. Again, that's managed by insurance company, although Medicare does have to approve that company. And they will, that Medicare Advantage plan will cover Part A, B, and often Part D, you know, the drug part. Uh, you'll also hear Medicare Advantage referred to as an HMO plan, health maintenance organization. It could be a PPO, the preferred provider organization, Medicare savings account, anyone that really does not want to enroll in a traditional Part A Medicare. Can't have Part C and Part A. You make a choice. You either are covered by Part C or traditional Medicare. Thank you, Jane. That's a very helpful explanation. What are the requirements for an individual to become eligible for Medicare benefits in a skilled nursing facility? Well, just like you could tell by my explanation of the last question, nothing's really very easy. But because Medicare, again, it's I said there were very strict regulations about who's covered and who's not. And obviously, Medicare doesn't want to pay for anyone that is not entitled to this benefit because it truly is a benefit. So there are technical 
and level of care requirements. The technical requirements, and these are things that no one can appeal if that person that's trying to uh, access Medicare does not meet one of these technical requirements, they can't appeal it, they can't do anything other than say, okay, I'll try something else. Those technical requirements must be, first of all, that resident has to be enrolled in a Medicare program. They've got to be able to provide the facility with their Medicare card. And it shows that they're entitled to the Part A benefit, which anybody that's seen a Medicare card knows it's right in the lower left-hand corner. And it will say, you know, Part A, effective date, and you know that they're covered. Now, the fact that they have a card does not mean that you automatically say, open the door, have them come on in. The other thing that technically we have to have is that we have to verify that they actually have days in their benefit period that they can use. So there are electronic online systems that typically the billers in the skilled facilities access to verify coverage, meaning that yes, they, this person still has days that they can use for their eligibility requirement. The next point of technical requirement that must be met is that the beneficiary must have been a hospital inpatient for a medically necessary stay for at least three consecutive calendar days within the 30 days prior to admission to the skilled facility. So they technically don't have to come straight to the nursing facility from the hospital. Once they leave the hospital, though, the timer starts. If they decide they need to go to a skilled facility, it would have to be within 30 days of that discharge from the hospital. As I said, the days, these three calendar days must be inpatient. We can't count the time in the emergency room. We can't count any days in observation. It is purely inpatient. And that's one of the issues for facilities is that oftentimes the beneficiary and even their family might not really know if they were in an observation stay because it's not like the hospital advertises it to you. So that is one thing the facility needs to double check that they really were an inpatient. And I know I'm saying three days, but actually it really is three midnights. The date of admission to the hospital is considered day one, and then they must be in the hospital for at least three midnights. So that's something else that we have to verify. The individual also, as I talked about, they had to have days available. Well, they have to have skilled benefit days available or they've achieved a new 60-day wellness period. A Medicare benefit period for beneficiaries is 100 days. And what's tricky about that is people will say, well, you've got 100 days. Yes, you have 100 days only if you meet the requirement for skilled care. So once that 
resident is out of a skilled level of care, their benefit period stops. Maybe they only used 18 days, maybe they used 25 days, but the length of time of a benefit period is 100 days. And then somebody else is gonna pay the bill. It's not gonna be Medicare. A beneficiary can achieve more benefit periods, but again, only if they have what I called earlier, a wellness period a break when the individual did not require skilled services and that break must be 60 days. They could, again, you can break your wellness period even in the facility, you know, they're cut from Medicare, that resident remains in the facility, they don't need any skilled services for 60 consecutive days, they could qualify for another benefit period or they if they have a hospital stay they could even pick up where they if they have any days left again the rules are a bit confusing and you just have to take them slowly as as you learn them the other technical requirement is that a physician must certify the need for the skilled care if by some fluky chance the physician says, I don't think they need skilled care and refuses to sign the certification, then again, the facility cannot provide those services to that resident as far as Medicare services. Now, I also talked about the level of care requirements. Well, first of all, and I believe I even have mentioned this already, that the, they must be needed, the skilled services must be needed for a treatment of a condition for which that beneficiary was receiving those inpatient hospital services or a condition that arose while in the SNF for treatment of a condition for which the beneficiary was previously hospitalized. So maybe it wasn't the primary reason the resident was, or the patient was in the hospital, but the hospital was treating that other condition. We could pick them up and they would be eligible. So factors that are needed for skilled coverage, if I can try to sum this up a little bit, the beneficiary needs daily skilled services as an inpatient in the skilled facility. Now the definition of daily varies for rehab, the daily definition is five or greater days per week. Um, again, they allow the beneficiary to rest a bit uh, from the therapy, and those are allowable. They're also daily for skilled nursing is defined as seven days a week, literally every day. The services have to be ordered by a physician, and as a practical matter, you know, thinking about economy, thinking about the effectiveness of the services, those daily skilled services can only be provided as an inpatient in the skilled facility. So, you know, sometimes the resident's too ill to have services anywhere else. It's too much of a physical hardship. It's too expensive. Maybe they, you know, live in some remote area and they'd have to drive back and forth you know, 50 miles, 60 miles, well, that's not economical. And 
perhaps home care would not be an option because there's not enough assistance at home. So they've got to be practical and they have to be reasonable and necessary based on that resident's illness or injury. And, then, and I guess I want to add to that, the condition that someone has, the diagnosis or prognosis is not what we use to decide if that service is going to be skilled. What is going to be determined that decision is that the, that condition is of such a nature that the knowledge, skills, judgment of either skilled nursing, skilled therapy personnel are required for the services provided to be safely and effectively performed or supervised. Thank you, Jane. That was a great overview of the requirements. Listeners, please stay tuned while we take a quick commercial break. PDPM has increased the importance of accurate ICD-10-CM diagnosis by shifting Medicare payments from therapy volume to resident characteristics. ANAC's new ICD-10 for SNFs virtual workshop certificate program helps ensure that you're coding accurately and ready for the PDPM transition. Learn more at anac.org backslash virtual underscore workshops. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion with Jane Belt, ANAC Curriculum Development Specialist on Original Medicare and how it impacts resident care and skilled nursing facilities. Jane, is it true that a resident in a skilled nursing facility cannot leave the facility for something like lunch or even to go for a ride in the car? No, and actually, uh, Rebecca, that's one of the myths about skilled care. Residents can be away from the skilled facility for brief periods of time. And, you know, they're actually called leaves of absence. And they can be granted, the physician has to order it and approve that that resident is safe to be out. But it can be granted so that they can attend special religious services, holiday meals, family occasions. They want to go for a ride. They just need to get some fresh air. Or they might even want to try it at home, see if maybe, maybe I could manage at home. So the day on which that patient begins a day of leave of absence is treated as a day of discharge and is not counted as an inpatient day unless the patient returns to the facility by midnight. So a beneficiary can go out for a ride in the car, have lunch, maybe see a brand new grandchild, something like that. And if they come back by midnight of that same day, nothing happens to their coverage. They are still skilled. Now, if they're not present at midnight, and that's okay, they don't have to be, you know, present at midnight every single day. But if, you know, because I mentioned holidays, so sometimes a resident might want to go home for Christmas and spend, you know, Christmas Eve with the family and then come back on Christmas Day later in the day. And that's okay too. The only thing that we've got to watch is that if there are frequent or prolonged periods away from the SNF, then it's possible that 
the Medicare administrative contractors, the MACs, could question whether or not that residence care could be furnished somewhere else. But as far as a day or two, there's not a problem as long as the resident is safe enough to, to go out with the family. They've got someone that's going to be with them, providing assistance, helping them. I just have to give a quick little chuckle story. Um, I was in a facility once and I was reading the chart and the resident was skilled and I was reading and I, I finally noticed that it sounded like he left the facility every day for lunch. And I said, okay, can you explain this to me? And they said, well, yeah, he has, you know, he has a, he wants to have lunch with his buddies. And so every day he drives his car to the restaurant. <laughs> I said, he drives his own car? He, they said, yes. And I said, well, guess what? He's not skilled because he doesn't need to be here to get the services. He could go get his therapy in an outpatient clinic, but it was like they were just astonished that that couldn't work. So funny things can happen. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that, Jane. <laughs> Thank you for shedding light on this myth. Are there any other special rules that can determine if a beneficiary would be eligible for a skilled level of care? Uh, well, there's two that come to mind. The first one is called 30-day transfer rule. And, you know, there are times when the resident can utilize their skilled benefit period if they're admitted to the facility within 30 days of a qualifying hospital stay. So they might have gone home, they might have gone to assisted living, but they decide, you know, I need more help than I'm getting. So they can utilize their Medicare benefits as long as they are readmitted to the SNF within 30 days of the last covered skilled days. And I believe I already mentioned, but the resident can remain after skilled services have ended. But if the skilled need arises within 30 days of that last covered skilled day, we could pick them up again. And for those that are listening and thinking about your process, that's why it's so important that at our Medicare meetings, we track anyone that's been discharged or cut from Medicare. And we need to track them for 30 days because we might be able to pick them up again. The second rule that could determine eligibility is called presumption of coverage. And this is if an individual has that 33-day qualifying hospital stay and is admitted directly to the skilled facility, that resident can be presumed to be skilled for a period of time up to the first eight days of their stay. Now, they have to be correctly assigned and we say assigned via the MDS, the minimum data set, the comprehensive assessment that we're required to do, if they are correctly assigned to one of those designated groups, then they can be considered skilled from the day of admission up until their assessment reference date. And, you know, and then after that, the, the problem is that 
once someone's skilled, it is a everyday decision for the facility. Is this resident still receiving complex, inherently skilled services? Because when they are not, they are no longer eligible for Medicare Part A. So every day, one of the things that as caregivers, staff members, we have to make sure that resident is still meeting the requirements for a skilled level of care. That never goes away. Jean, there are so many requirements and regulations. For someone becoming involved in skilled services, what resources would you recommend? Well, there's there's certainly a lot out there, but I guess the the one good thing would be your RAI manual or the MDS manual, as it has many of the important details about the required MDSs that are needed for Medicare requirements and how the classification system works. And, you know, that's in chapters two and six of the manual. The other valuable resource would be the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual, and it's chapter eight of that. And that chapter is called Coverage of Extended Care SNF Services Under Hospital Insurance. Hospital insurance, remember, that's part A. And that chapter covers requirements, talks about the prior hospital requirements, hospitalization requirements, I should say, transfer requirements, and then a description of skilled nursing and skilled rehab services. And that's what we're going to talk about on our next podcast. Thank you, Jane. I'm looking forward to the next podcast in this series. Listeners, thank you for joining LTC NAC Chat today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a future update. For more resources and tools, please visit the ANAC website at www.aanac.org.